The English statesman and philosopher Francis Bacon once said, He that has a wife and children has given hostages to fortune, for they are impediments to great enterprises, either of virtue or mischief. It's quite a statement, isn't it? Bacon lived in the 16th century, of course. But his thoughts are actually in tune with how many people today think about children. You see, many people see children as an hindrance to a more fulfilling life. And the evidence is actually everywhere. State-funded murder of unborn children, rampant sexualization of children through pornography, uh, and fashion. And of course, there is the evil trinity of postmodernism, secularism, and identity politics, which are doing their bit, if you like, not only to change how our children think, but to literally change how they look. And it raises the question, doesn't it? How should we, as believers, respond to the, the attack on our children? The answer, of course, is that we must rely on God, the one true God of the Bible, and we must stand firm against the world. But, of course, that starts with us first remembering that children are a gift from God to us. Uh, we, we can't, we have no against taking on our culture, standing firm for the gospel, especially in this area of children. If we don't get this, that children are a gift from God to us. And we find this truth, of course, throughout the Bible, but it is especially in the psalm we're looking at this morning, in Psalm 127. Now, last week we said this psalm, for those of you who are here, we said that this psalm was written by King Solomon to give us the right perspective on life. And we looked at the first two verses of this psalm last week. Which says, unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil. For he gives to his beloved sleep. That's what we looked at last week. And we said those two verses are teaching us two important truths. Uh, if you like, they're giving us a principle of the right perspective on life by teaching us two important principles. First principle is that relying on ourselves is fruitless. It's pointless. It never takes us anywhere. The second principle we learned for life is relying on God is fruitful. If you want the fruitful, fulfilling life, you must rely on God and God alone. That's what we learn from those first two verses. Today we are looking at the verse 3 to verse 5. Now in these verses, what King Solomon is doing is, is now giving us a tangible example of how God looks after us or gives us a fulfilling life already. And the way God does that is by blessing some of us with children. And we look at that in verse 3 to verse 5. It says, Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. 
Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gates. What Solomon is saying to us in these verses is this. If you have children, not everybody dies, but if you have children and have doubts that God is the only one you must rely on, then just behold your children. Take a look at your children. Behold them, look at them. And if you don't have children, of course, look at the other children. And what you'll find out is this. Right in front of you is all the encouragement you need to rely on God. And so that immediately raises the question, in what way does the gift of children point us to God? So this sermon is answering that question. And it's actually, I hope, will prove to be helpful, not just to parents, but to those who don't have children. Because if you don't have children, you've got children all around you in the church, that you can look and you can learn what an illustration they have to how God already looks after us. And if you have children, well, they're a walking sermon in front of you. So the question we're asking is this. In what way does the gift of children point us to God? Point us to rely on God? Well, two, three things Solomon tells us. First of all, children are a free gift from God. Children are a free gift from God. A free sovereign gift we don't earn. God just gives us whoever he wishes. I must admit that sometimes when I've seen a parent mistreating their children, I have asked myself, why has God given this useless parent children? There are many wonderful believers I know without kids who deserve to have these kids, I said to myself. And here is this useless parent who doesn't care. And probably you've had the same thoughts. Yeah, by the school gate or just seeing how some people don't care about their kids. You probably have had the same thoughts. Well, those thoughts are sinful because no one deserves to have children. That superman or super dad is just as undeserving of having children as the worst parent in the world. Because children are a free gift from God. Period. That's what Solomon tells us in verse 3. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord. The original word for heritage here is also translated as inheritance. To inherit something is to receive something without our influence. And here the Bible turns everything upside down, isn't it? The way we think about things. Because we usually think children inherit from us, right? So we work very hard to build up something for them, a trust fund, and they inherit from us for free. That's how we think of our children. But King Solomon says, oh, <laughs> you have it the other way around. That's not the most important inheritance. The true inheritance you need to be thinking about is that we inherit our children from God. Children are our inheritance from God. They are our free gift from God to us. So if you have children, you did not pay God for your children. You didn't even live a good life to merit having those children. 
We don't have, we don't have children because we tick the right boxes. Children are a sovereign gift from God, an inheritance from the Lord. I just want to say that just understanding this truth before we get married can mean the difference between a happy marriage or a marriage full of endless anxiety and unhappiness. Just this truth, just this truth can change the overall direction of your marriage. Because if you understand from the beginning that children are a free gift from the Lord, and before you get married, you discuss with your would-be husband or would-be wife that this is our children had. Well, when you enter marriage, you're not going to be so anxious in the first year, are you? Second year, third year, or if the Lord never gives you children. Because you would have understood from the beginning, and there will be no misunderstanding in marriage. But sadly, many of us enter marriage with the presumption of having children. And dare I say, in some cultures... It would be a wonderful discussion before you get married to involve the parents in that discussion before you're married so that the families understand that children are a free gift from the Lord. Because if the families don't understand, it's just going to bring you more unhappiness. So it's a vital truth. That's just in passing. But it helps, doesn't it? Do and to remember this. Children are a free gift from God. That's for people who want to get married. If you are already a parent, this truth must immediately make you thank God for your children. Even for that daughter who is breaking your heart right now. I say that because Solomon doesn't say good children are a heritage from God. Look at that. They are children of all ages. I inherited from the Lord. Just children. It just says children. All of them. Even the heartbreaking rebel. And yet, did you notice that the gift from God in verse 3 is just the child, by the way. Not the activities of the child. So you as a parent must continue to stand against sin in your sons and daughters. You should not look at this passage and say, okay, well, therefore it doesn't matter. They are a gift anyway, so I just need to turn a blind eye to how they live. No. You must continue to stand against sin in their lives. So here's a challenge, isn't it? It's a difficult challenge. How do we thank God for our children? If it were a Bible study, this would be great. Brother Victor would just give us the answer, wouldn't it? Because the question is very difficult, brother. It's like, how do we thank God for our children as gifts from God when their humanity is dressed in the open filth and defiance of sin against God. That's hard, isn't it? How do we do that? There's no simple answer. But I think part of the answer is that we must always keep our central focus on the giver, not the gift. As parents, you see, we are prone to focus on what our children are doing or not doing. The Bible is saying, no, 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 that's the wrong way to think about it. Start with what God has already done for you. The more we remember that God is our Father who never makes mistakes or gives us bad gifts, the more we will thank Him for just the gift of the child themselves, irrespective of of course, of the sin that they are dressed in. 
Focus on God and focus that God never makes mistakes. And you'll be thankful for God giving you a rebel, we might say. Not for the rebellion, but just for the human being themselves. And we know that God does not just give us free gifts, isn't it? We know that every good thing that we have comes from him, by him, and for him. James chapter 1 verse 17, which our brother all are preached on. You can find the sermon on the website. On James chapter 1 verse 17 says, Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. So if God already gives us many free gifts, right? Including for some of us the gift of children. The question Solomon is is asking is, why would you want to build your own life? Why would you want to build your own life? Why would you want to rely on yourself? There's no need to rely on yourself because in God you have a prime example of a loving father. You have, in God you have a loving father who gives good gifts to his children. And you know that if you're a parent because he has given you children. And if you don't have children, you still see the gift of children around you. And that should encourage you as a parent to rely on God and not on yourself. That's what Solomon is saying here. He's saying it is foolish for us to depend on ourselves. It is foolish for everyone, but it's especially foolish for parents. Because they have right in front of them a powerful billboard in shape of their children that proclaims the free goodness of God to them. So there's no excuse for you to rely on yourself. So let us now go, Solomon is saying, to God, surrender to God. Let us not try even to build anything on our own. Let us rely on him alone. Because in children we see a prime example of God's goodness to us. Children are a free gift from God. That's the first thing we learn here. The second thing we learn is that children are a precious gift from God. A precious gift. They're not just free, freely given. They're a precious gift. Now, they say it is not the gift that matters, right? It is the thought. <laughs> I'm sure many ladies uh, on their birthday or anniversaries wouldn't accept that, right? <laughs> you know, the truth is only half true, right? The truth of the matter is that the thought is reflected in the nature of the gift itself, isn't it? Right? If you have no children and someone gives you nappies, you'd find it insulting, wouldn't you? <laughs> you would, right? But if they bought you a sports car and you, are, you don't have children, you'd be like, that's great, that's what I need. A two-seater is great. It fits me perfectly. You dance for joy. The gift matters. The gift matters. And Solomon here is telling us that this free gift God has given us is not just any gift. It's not a thoughtless gift we don't need. It's actually a priceless gift that communicates the loving and tender heart of God to us. Look at Verse 3 there. Behold, children, I inherited from the Lord the fruit of the womb, a reward. 
The fruit of children is a reward. The original word for reward here is not the way we think of reward as if you work for it and you're given a reward. No. The original word for reward here is payment. It is the same word we find in Jonah chapter 1 verse 3 when Jonah pays the fare to get on the boat to go somewhere. It is also the same word we find in Genesis Chapter 15, verse 1, when God tells Abraham, Fear not, Abraham, I am your shield and your what? Your very great reward. It's not because Abraham has earned anything from God. God's just saying, I am your precious reward. And in Psalm 127, King Solomon, why Solomon is saying to us, Children are a reward, not in the sense that we get them for being good, we know that we're not being good because God gives them as a heritage because rather they're a precious gift or payment from God, but a very precious payment. They're a precious free gift from God. So it's reward in the sense of preciousness. That we tend to think children will cost us a lot of money. But why Solomon says we have it all wrong Children are a reward from the Lord. That means they're a priceless asset. Francis Bacon and our society are wrong. When they think of children as impediments, as obstacles, when they think children get in the way for good or bad, right? No. Why Solomon says, no, children are a priceless asset. When all the benefits and costs of having children are assessed, the result is a priceless net benefit. But again, this brings us back to that Bible study question, isn't it? In a different way. <laughs> How do we reconcile the fact that many children break the hearts of parents? Because some of you here that you're thinking, <laughs> it doesn't feel like that at the moment, right? It is hard, isn't it, to see how children can be a priceless gift when they break the hearts of parents. Many children do that. This week, you may have seen the story of um, John Piper's son, Abraham Piper. He's bringing a lot of shame to his dad because he's been up there on TikTok uh, posting a lot of things against the faith, you know? Bad things. He's just turned rebellious, raised in a godly home, turned against his parents, but he's not satisfied. He's just doing all kinds of evil things against his mom and dad. We ask ourselves, is Abraham a precious gift to John? Doesn't look like it. But the Bible's answer is that yes. And I think the problem is that we often see blessings from our perspective. We think a child, a son or daughter, is a blessing to us when the child or daughter does what we want. But the blessing of children must be seen from God's vantage point. To God, even a difficult child is a blessing to us because that difficult child makes us run to Jesus. You see, part of the blessing of having children is that we as followers of Jesus, right? Because we are followers of Jesus, the Lord uses even a difficult child as a tool for making us more and more like Jesus. Difficult children are a sanctification too, to draw us closer 
to Jesus. They bring loads of heartaches and pain, but they draw us closer to Jesus. How? Well, there's nothing that exposes more of our sins, more of our weaknesses than our children. The more difficult the child is, the more sin he exposes in us. And the more sin he exposes in us, the more it should cause us to run to God in repentance and draw closer to the Lord. The more little Job punches above his weight, right? The more we see we have more anger issues than we realize. And then what happens to us? Well, if we are born of God, we go to Jesus, we repent, we thank the Lord that there is more mercy in one drop of his blood than the ocean of our sins. So we praise God that he has drawn us, even through the difficult situation, to rely on Jesus. Having a child who is often unwell does not look like a precious gift, does it? If your child is going through a very difficult time, or is just perpetually unwell, we may think, that doesn't feel like a precious gift. And yet, it has turned prayerless moms into prayer warriors of Jesus. Right there in the difficult schoolroom of a difficult child, many have been drawn ever closer to the Savior. You see, when all things are considered from God's vantage point, your child is a priceless gift from God, no matter the situation of your child. God is blessing you through them now. Again, that doesn't mean we shouldn't care about the difficulties. And that's not a license for our children to misbehave. Quite the contrary. We long that our children come to know Christ for themselves. And we must continue to desire children to repent and trust in Jesus. Because why? Because it glorifies the Christ we love and it is infinitely better for them and for us. There is a sense in which the best gift, if you're a young person this morning, you could ever give your mom, you know, you buy your mom a lot of gifts, but the best present you can give your mom is to repent and trust in Jesus. Period. Period. That's all what a godly mother, that's all she desires. It's not even that you can do what she wants you to do. No, no, no. She wants you just to repent and trust in Jesus. To love the Jesus she loves. Have your mom's greatest love and your dad's greatest love is Jesus. And the best way you can do for them is to love the Jesus they love. That's not, I'm making that as a general point. But even if your parents are not converted, it's the same point. Because as you know Christ for yourself, you'll be such a blessing to them. That's one way to look at uh, what we're saying here. Of course, you should repent just for, because God is great. But God in his providence has given you so many different reasons for you to look to him, to encourage you in your need to repent and turn to him. So, that is in passing, in fact. Because the reason Solomon is reminding us here that children are a priceless gift is to help us thank God for them. And then to encourage us to depend on God. Because Solomon is saying, look, he's saying indirect to us, if children are precious, and we all agree children are precious, I hope, then surely the God who gives us these wonderful, precious gifts of children is more precious than the children. 
Because He is the giver. Indeed, we can say God is infinitely precious. Why? Because He gives us not just the precious children. He gives us all the precious things of life. All things which are precious in this world are from Him and for Him. So how precious must God be? He must be infinitely precious. Sadly, and this is sad, many parents think their children are more precious than God. I say this because, first of all, many parents idolize their children. They worship their children. What Johnny wants, Johnny gets. Forget what God wants, it's what Johnny wants, Johnny gets. There is that aspect of idolizing our children. The other aspect of idolizing our children is that we have our entire identities wrapped up in our precious children rather than the precious God who gave us those same children. The precious child, in effect, starts running the mother or the father's life to the point that the parent's relationship with God deteriorates. You know, if a dad was regular at church, little Joseph comes along, and all of life now, <laughs> and all life with the people of God just evaporates. He's nowhere to be seen now. Because little John sort of runs the rooster. Is that the English phrase? He runs the, um, <laughs> that probably isn't a good English phrase. Uh, he, he runs the home patch now. I've seen it in parent after parent. Their life with God is shaped by the children. Oh, beloved, what a sacrilege. What a tempting of God this is. To pervert a perfect gift from God and turn it as a license for idolatry. In the same way on Thursday we were studying about the false teachers who had perverted the gospel. They had turned the gospel, we are reading in Jude verse 4, right? They had taken the gospel and they had perverted it and turned them as a license for their sensuality. It's the same thing for parents who take this wonderful gift of God of a child and then they use it, they turn it, they pervert it as a license to worship themselves. To build their lives around the child rather than the life around God. Oh, what a sacrilege. What a serious tempting of God this is. Will God stand for it? Of course not. If we're children of God, we'll find that God disciplines us, as I said last week, in a painful way. And as a minimum, what I've often seen is that parents who do that often find that they have lost their children spiritually. Of course they have. Because if their life is built around the child, they have no time for God. The child will lose his way. He will lose his way. Spiritually. That's in passing again, isn't it? The main point is that Solomon is reminding us here, isn't it? That we must rely on God because only he can fulfill our most precious longings. If you're a parent this morning, the precious gift of children is not meant for you to idolize a child, but rather to show you how wonderful God is. To remind you that our loving God never withholds good things from you. And therefore you must now surrender your life more and more to him. And you know this already as a follower of Jesus, isn't it? Because God did not spare his own precious son, our Lord Jesus, but gave him up for you on the cross for your sin. 
But sometimes your sin makes you forget just how great God is. So he has given you children as an arrow pointing you to his grace in Jesus. Solomon is saying, when you start doubting the goodness of God, oh, beloved, simply behold your children. Take a look at your children. Behold them. They are a priceless gift. Behold your children as a heritage from the Lord. The, the fruit of the womb, a reward. And for those of us who don't have children, God has, as I said, God has given you children in the church to remind you how God, and this is important, to remind you how God himself sees you in Christ. If God wants ordinary human parents to see their human children as precious, surely, right, this is how God sees us in Christ. His own spiritual children in Jesus Christ. We are his precious children. We are his reward. And 1 Peter chapter 2 says that, doesn't it? 1 Peter 2 verse 9 says, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people of what? Of his own possession. And when we looked at that a long time ago in 1 Peter, we said the word for possession there literally means purchased at a price. And in chapter 1 of 1 Peter, it reminds us that the price of our redemption was not something perishable like gold or silver, right? It was the priceless blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. You are a follower of Jesus, beloved, because the infinitely precious blood of God the Son, the blood of God, has cleansed you from sin and set you apart as his very own. And so if you're in Christ, God looks at you now and says, she is my precious child, a child of the King of Heaven. My royal blood now flows through our spiritual veins. And because, Solomon says, God regards you as his precious child, there is now no need to rely on yourself. If you are in Christ, you are now the apple of God's heart. We could even paraphrase verse, verse 3 to say, if, if God was speaking, we'd say, Behold, my children are a heritage from me. The fruit of my womb, a reward, a, pricelessly gift, a priceless gift. That's how God regards you in Christ. So there's no need for you to depend on yourself. And children are there to remind you of that, that you are a precious gift from God. So that's the first thing. That's the second thing. The first thing is children are a free gift from God. The second thing we've seen is that children are a precious gift from God. The third and final thing, quickly, is that children are a caring gift from God. They are a caring gift from God. Children are not just a gift that benefits us today. Solomon says they're a long-term gift that benefits us as they get stronger and we get Weaker in life. Look at verse 4 there. Verse 4 to 5. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gates. You see, many of us are so familiar with these verses that it is easy for us to forget just how strange the image here is. King Solomon is likening children to, uh, to weapons. 
Can you imagine asking a new mom, right? How is your new baby? And then she says to you, oh, he's just amazing. He's like bullets in my gun. I think we'll be like keeping a close eye on that mom. Like, okay, <laughs> take a note of this one. <laughs> I need to keep my eyes on her just in case she's up to no good, right? And yet King Solomon uses exactly that image. He says children are like a weapon. Look at this four again. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who feels his quiver with them. You know, in the ancient world, the gate was a place of battle where a city was defended against those who were trying to destroy it. But it was also a place where law courts met to administer justice and settle disputes. If you read Ruth and Boaz, uh, we have that image in Ruth of going by the gate, right? Now, we don't know which of these two images that Solomon has in mind. Is it the gate as a place of warfare or the gate as a place of justice? Well, it doesn't matter. Whether the, the person who has children is facing a battle or facing a lawsuit, King Solomon says the man who has many children, and I think he has in mind here sons in particular, many sons in, around, in, the, in the ancient world, he says will be protected whether in a lawsuit or in a battle. The more sons you had then, uh, the better were your chances. You have many sons to fight for him when there is a war. Many sons to speak for him when there is a bitter dispute against his enemy. Solomon is saying God gives us the precious gift of children not to make you weaker or burden you. Some parents feel their children are I burn, or they make them weaker. No. God is saying, no, 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 no. Quite the opposite. God gives you children to make you stronger. And I think we've already touched the ways in which God makes us stronger spiritually with our children. But he's also saying he makes you stronger later on in life to care for you when you can't care for yourself. If you have a parent, Solomon is saying, you don't need to rely on yourself because God is caring for you today. And he already has a long-term plan to care for you. What is a long-term plan? Solomon says, if you're a parent, God has given you children as a down payment to look after you later on in life. Now, this does not mean, first of all, you will live on until old age. It doesn't mean that. Neither does it mean that every child you have will be a believer who will care for you. No? It doesn't mean that. Neither does it mean that... um, if you don't have any children, you can't be taken care of. It doesn't mean any of that. This is a wisdom psalm. And so what Solomon wants us to focus on, as we did last week, when we talked about sleep, Solomon wants to focus on the general principle that God cares for his beloved children now and later on in life. And because God has promised to care for us, we do not need to rely on ourselves. He will look after us. And most likely through our own children if we have some. But if we don't have our children or our children are not able to care for us, it does not matter ultimately because God will tenderly care for us in his own way. And you know what is the strange thing about that? The strange thing is that one way God looks after us in old age, in fact, God's priority, I would say top way of looking after us is through his own children. The church. 
We are here to care for one another. And we are here to care especially for the older saints God has blessed us with. And we are meant to do this better than biological children should do. Now, I'm already overrunning with time, so I don't want to say too much, but I think it's something we as a church have to think about. The extent to which we are fulfilling the mandate, we might say, of verse 5. But the main point is this. Many of us are like children in the day, like Israel in the days of Midian. We are trying to build dens to care for us, for ourselves. But God says, no, no, don't worry about that. I am here to care for you. So you don't need to worry about tomorrow. You don't need to start panicking. Who will care for me 10 years from now? Who, how will I live? And God says, no, no, I'm going to look after you. I'll look after you. I am here to look after you. And you know this is true, don't you? Because in God, God has come to, in Jesus, God has come to look after us through Jesus. The very reason God put on the robes of human flesh was so that he could come to look after you as one of us. Hebrews chapter 2 verse 14 to 18 says this, doesn't it? Our final scripture says, Therefore the children share in flesh and blood. He himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. For surely it is not angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. Therefore he had to be made like his brothers in every respect, that is us, so that he might become what? A merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Oh, beloved, as I come to the end, I'll simply say this. All religions and philosophies of the world tell us a single story. They tell us we must work hard in life to care for ourselves and then hope for the, re- for the best when we die. It all depends on you. But the writer of the Hebrews and the rest of all scripture says to us, God put on a human face to care for us. He came to remove the sin that separated us by dying on the cross for us. He put on the flesh to defeat death for us by rising from death. And by from rising from death, he robbed death itself of its power. And he robbed Satan, his weapon. Jesus put on our humanity to care for us every day against our temptation, against any weaknesses that we have. And he is now standing before God as our human high priest. And that is only the beginning. Our eternal, caring high priest is coming to bring us into his new heavens and new earth. And so there is no need to try and build your own life. There is no need to trust in your job, in your money, in your relationship to look after you. There is no need to follow Jesus with divided loyalties, to put other things equal with Jesus as some sort of insurance for today and for tomorrow. No, no, beloved, as we said last week, right? 
Living like that is fruitless. The fruitful and caring way to live is to abandon self and rely only on God to care for us. And what I've tried to show you this morning is that if you are a parent, you already have a visible sermon in front of you, written by God, reminding you that He is the only one you need to rely on. Because He is a God who gives free and precious and caring gifts to all His children in Jesus. And if you don't have children, well, you are all the children around. And you yourself are a child of God. And you're a precious gift to of the Lord to the Lord. In fact, a gift, that's another sermon, a gift from God the Father to His Son. So in face of such a clear example of the goodness of God, well, let us all go to God today and surrender afresh and look to Him to look after us. Amen.